0: Welcome to the ByteRabbit podcast, where we talk about WebXR, that's VR and AR on the web. My name is Jonathan, one of the founders of ByteRabbit.
1: Hi, my name is Florian. I'm the other founder of White Rabbit and a WebXR game developer.
0: And my name is Darius, intern and WebXR developer at ByteRabbit. So hello, everybody, and welcome to the Vite Rabbit podcast. Today, we are honored to have Jacob Rossi on the podcast, who is the product manager at Oculus Browser. With his eight years of experience coming from Microsoft, he decided to now join Facebook, working on the Oculus Browser. Jacob, how are you doing? Welcome.
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for
1: inviting me. Glad to be here. Welcome to the podcast. Nice to have you join us.
0: Let's start with that move from Microsoft to Facebook. What inspired you to go for a VR browser?
2: My passion has always been on the web, you know, at Microsoft, I worked on browsers and web standards for a number of years. And, you know, I was at a point in my career where I really was looking for an opportunity to start working on something less sure, you know, something more emerging, something with untapped potential. And I think VR, especially at that time, really represented that opportunity and i had a number of you know uh, friends and previous coworkers that were working at oculus that really you know impressed upon me the passion that exists at oculus and the vision that they had around the future of you know the web in vr and that really felt like the best of both worlds for me like an opportunity to really lean on my passion and love for the web as a platform and take it into a place that isn't as figured out. you know. Going from working on the web at Windows at you know billion person scale to working at the web on VR, which is growing at a rapid pace and, and finding a bunch of new use cases and things like this, was just like a total different headspace as a product manager to go into. And I'm really, really enjoying it.
0: Product manager seems like a huge word. What does product management entail? Obviously not development, but what else? Than- then that does product management mean in practice?
2: Yeah, I you know I wouldn't I I don't read too much into to titles. Here's how I would like frame what my you know role is on the team. Really I I like to think about our customers. And and for the browser it's a really interesting one because it's there's at least two major segments of customers, right? There are users of this browser, people who are opening up their Quest 2s and taking it out and seeing what, you know, software comes pre-installed and like accessing the web and what is the web like in VR and and what do they want out of the web and VR? And then there's this other side of, you know, our customers, which is developers, right? And they want to bring a vision that they have, uh, their business or their creative ideas into this new medium uh, and have all the you know rich access to capabilities that the hardware has to offer, et cetera. So my job as as the product manager is really thinking about those two customers, what they need, where they want to go, and and ultimately deliver upon that. So it's a ton of listening, it's a ton of imagining, and and a ton of planning. And so like we take those kind of three things together, come up with like what is our vision. What's our roadmap look like? And then, you know, talk to developers and and users and, and make sure that we're really delivering value to them. The ways that you
0: communicate that roadmap, for example, was during Oculus Connect, you gave very short, but insanely dense information, dense talk about like upcoming features. A couple of them were like PWAs, for example which is probably one of like the new use cases especially for vr can you like just quickly summarize what that was about for those people who might not have heard that talk
2: yeah yeah facebook connect is a great opportunity to talk to sort of both of those users it was really different this time around you know being completely digital and we are learning new formats and ways to to reach our customers and i thought it was a an excellent event. And I was really happy to share some of the cool things we're working on. And PWAs is one of those. PWAs starts from a couple of problems. And and sort of as my lead-in suggested, they're both developer problems and user problems. For users, they want easier access to the web apps they love and, and have them feel more integrated into the overall system experience. You know, right now, the web is a little bit like bottled into the browser and your tabs. And if we're serious about the web and, and, and its role it can play in, in the overall VR experience, we want to feel make that feel more integrated and easier to access. And, and PWAs offer sort of a way to do that. And for developers, the sort of inverse of that is they want to be able to be more easily discovered, easily accessed, and have more you know, access to deeper integrations that make their experience feel more like a native app.
0: So, I think we
2: just rushed people who
0: don't know what PWAs are a bit. For people who don't know, progressive web apps allow like way better integration of web apps, basically, to look like native apps. What could this look like in a WebXR use case, for example?
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, at at their heart, progressive web apps or PWAs really are just well behaved web apps, right? And the magic of them is this manifest this web app manifest that a developer can provide that gives the metadata around sort of the app as an entity the name of the app the description the assets to represent it in services like an app library and the extent and scope of the app so what is part of the app versus you know an external link that that navigates somewhere else and those features you know those that information from the manifest actually let the web app operate in sort of a more self contained way, and so when you think about this for for WebXR, um, there's some things that the manifest could do uh, down the road. This would require some extensions to the to the standards, but there's a path for this. It would be things like specifying that this experience is supposed to be immersive. Right today, you get the you know the flow of. Go to a 2D web page and then click, you know, enter VR and there's a permissions prompt and that kind of thing. We could get all of that up front for you know a web app that has been you know added to your library so that in future subsequent launches, you you click this app, and it goes directly into immersive mode, just like any other game, you know, that you've installed from the store or native app. That's kind of the experience users expect and de- developers aren't able to deliver on that today for, for good reason, right? In the, in, in the browser context, like we want to make sure that you know, that step into immersive mode is really clear to users and that like it's not used, you know, for security risks, those types of things. But as a PWA, there's this different we can potentially provide a level of trust that's different, you know, and more akin to installed native applications and use that use that information from the manifest to provide a slicker, lower friction, mm-hmm. you know, experience.
0: I suppose that's probably because you have to like manually or have the user explicitly install the app and that kinda is like a token of trust, so to speak of the user hey i trust this app and you may launch it directly into vr or something like that
2: yeah i think the specifics of of how users get pwas you know on their device will matter here right like the level of trust and the endorsement is different if it is an ad add this shortcut to your library type of experience to the browser versus if you get it from a store, right? On many platforms, there are different ways, there are multiple ways to distribute PWAs. It's too early for us to really nail down the specifics here and that will matter in terms of how much trust users can place in these and, and what type of experience we need to offer therein. So, but it is, I think it opens the door to really interesting conversations about really Improving discoverability, improving easy ease of access for users, and and leveling the playing field therein, you know, with respect to native apps. I also think that
1: it also gives a lot more exposure to the WebXR uh, environment generally for people to even consider using WebXR as a technology to deploy their apps on on the Oculus platform. One hundred percent. Another way you
0: give exposure, and that seems to be like one big goal of you with Oculus Browser also, to also help bringing out that good content, is the NTP, the no tab page, the recommended links in the Oculus Browser that you see the first time when you open up. Do you want to go into what the, like, what the idea is behind them and like, how this helps to discover new apps?
2: Yeah, for sure. So the web is vast, uh, billions and billions of sites, right? And and uh, Oculus Browser is one of the most popular applications on Quest, uh, and that's because the web offers all this content, right? And and users use Oculus Browser for a lot of different things. They use it as even a normal browser, like this. This idea of the you know infinite screen is is something that's really powerful for VR, even for regular 2D websites, but we really believe in the future of, of the web being more than just 2D and being able to you know, leverage WebXR and, and have access to the unique capabilities of this hardware. So if you're a user, it can be hard to sort of find these emerging WebXR sites amongst a sea of 2D you know, uh, regular websites that were really designed for, for other devices. And as a developer trying to sort of break through, it, it it can be hard to get discovered. So you know, we we designed this homepage or the new tab page, as we call it, of the browser to be a place where we solve that problem for users. It's the place where they come to find content that Oculus you know recommends and that is is going to be enjoyable and safe and comfortable and and really. F- through and find those magical experiences from the web that take advantage of the cool new hardware they have and for for developers it's an opportunity to really get traffic get people in get discovered and hopefully build businesses right we want them to be successful so we created this page we have a a way uh, for developers to to submit content for us to consider you can go to developer.oculus.com And you can submit it to us. And and we usually work with developers to find opportunities to improve their experiences and ways that we can help. And then from time to time, we rotate in new content to recommend to users.
1: We'll be be including that in the description for you to find. And a question on that. What are your
2: criteria on selecting the experiences? Yeah, we think of this page as as a surface for us to really find the shining examples that we think, you know, users are really going to enjoy and engage with. And there's a few things that kind of come with that. Users have expectations around content, especially if, you know, Oculus is going to recommend it. They want it to be safe and enjoyable. You know, the web the web has amazing value, but it also has some dark corners and those types of things. So we want to make sure that the, you know, the content that we put in front of users is is really going to be safe, inclusive, and, and enjoyable by all. So there's a content thing there. Then there's just a quality thing. We want to make sure that you know the performance of it is good. You know, with VR, there are real considerations around performance. If you have low performance and low frame rate, you can make people sick. And so. We're very careful about you know screening through the content to ensure that like users are going to have a great experience. And then there's a creative side to it. We this this is where it gets a bit more subjective. But we we try to talk to users. We do user research. We we also look at you know what it, content is resonating with with users and those types of things. And. And we just rotate. We pro. It's a programming surface. It's just like you know, deciding what what should be. You know, who should be on the on your podcast, right? It's kind of like that. Like we come up with this like roadmap of like, hey, what content should we be rotating in? What what content will users enjoy? And so to that end, it changes. You know, even week by week, sometimes what content we have in there.
0: Yeah, we had some communication on that too, and it was really helpful feedback. I can highly recommend everyone who has a great app to go and submit it. And if it matches uh, the criteria or like is not uh, from the dark side of the web, then look forward to some great feedback on that. So the tab page is one of the things that you do obviously on top of and Oculus Browser is Chrome based. right? it's chromium based of course so what else do you do apart from the tab page and making it visible in vr i assume like some rendering stuff on top of like the chromium code base
2: yeah this is a great question so I, as i kind of understand the question is what's different about oculus browser from sort of open source chromium you know first i'd say I just really want to recognize the amazing project that is chromium. I, I we have such a great relationship with a lot of the contributors uh, that project has really pushed the web forward and and without it, I think it would be monumentally hard to you know, to create a browser for a new device like this. So we're really really fortunate to have such a great community project like that though the differences in 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 for Oculus Browser and, and, and on our hardware are pretty large. They're pretty substantial. The entire user experience is, is brand new. And one of the you know, sort of lesser-known things about Oculus Browser is the entire UI of Oculus Browser is built in the web as well. So everything from the tabs to the address bar to the favorites, and then including the new tab page experience, all of that is, is web-based. And that actually has been. Great for us to build confidence around the web as an application framework, mm-hmm. uh, in, in VR. If we can build a browser out of it, you know, then certainly it's, a, it's a viable application platform. Of course, there's an absolute ton of native code as well. And that's where we get into the integration with the device. And there's a few different places that that happens. First is WebXR. There's, you know, tight integration into things like bringing up, you know, the new XR2 chipset on Quest 2 and the graphics uh, stack therein optimizing performance, getting it to work, you know, at 90 Hertz and enabling GPU features like multi view. And then of course the entire, you know, VR API if you will that powers WebXR, you know, under, underneath it. And then we, you know, even outside of just WebXR, there's a whole bunch more to making a browser work great on our device. We handle controller input and we figure out how does that map to the web, right? Like the web expects a mouse or maybe a touchscreen, and we have these controllers that are that have, you know, 3D raycasting and a bunch of buttons on them. And so how does that work? How do you scroll? We've talked about, you know, with this idea of infinite office, like we've talked about needing keyboards. And so we're looking at how does that work and get hooked up underneath the hood. And then performance, you know, ultimately we're pulling a bit of a magic trick in creating this multi-screen, multitasking world running on, you know, mobile hardware. And so there's a ton of work and effort that goes into optimizing and fine tuning our browser on top of that, so that you can have a really really fast experience.
0: Yeah, and that infinite office is also like one of the like complete surprises that I got from your talk, where I was like I always envisioned a way to like being able to work in VR and being able to like have multiple screens and all that, right? But I really did not expect this come to come from Oculus browser but like with the PWAs and like having all sorts of applications in there already i guess it does make sense in a way also like the keyboard input is going to be very very interesting just to be able to see the keyboard in VR is going to be so great for like productivity and also help with like text input in the browser in general about infinite office can you go into like the vision of what you're trying to move towards there
2: yeah I, you know here's how i think about the you know where the idea around infinite office comes from if i start from the browser's point of view you know i talked earlier about one of the reasons the browser is just so popular is there's just so much content out there to access right and it gives users an opportunity to do more with their device you know to do social and entertainment and you know, even shopping or or even do work and and so really it starts from this idea of VR evolving into some new type of computer and not just a you know not just a gaming device but actually like a an immersive computer and, and the browser is really a great place today where a lot of different use cases are are happening and we really started digging into that and understanding you know, what would, What use cases do we want to amplify and, and invest in? And, and where do we think that we can take VR? Our mission for the longest time has you know, been defy distance. And we really have believed in that, in the power of VR and presence to connect people and make people more productive uh, and and be, be able to socialize at a distance, whether that's physical or emotional. And this is something we believed in for a long time. And now I think with everything that's going on in the world and the pandemic and all this stuff, I think it's like given a shot of of urgency to having better tools for things like work and socialization. And and so the Infinite Office really represents our vision for the productivity side of that, right? When you think about the power of VR and being able to have these infinite screens, these customizable workplaces, uh, workspaces, and the web with the access to a bunch of different applications, you really start to be able to be productive. And so Infinite Office is this idea, this vision for how we might evolve the system experience uh, around that. it actually started, you know, even though I think it was a bit of a, a, a delightful surprise at Facebook Connect, really, this started earlier this year. We introduced multitasking uh, for the browser, you know, earlier this year where you could run, you know, up to three browser windows side by side. You could resize them and start to do more than one thing at once. You know, it could, whether it's watching a video on one screen and checking up with friends on another, or, you know, reading a news article on a third, and and so that the the multitasking superpowers give you this you know edge of productivity, and and infinite office is just building on that you know starting to look at things like pass through so that you can have context around the world around you while you work better you know access to the keyboard a tracked keyboard uh, with input so you can actually have a mouse or a keyboard having you know finer precision and more. Yeah, that you the input that you're used to for for getting getting things done and accessing these applications on the web. So you know, and building on top of that with PWAs starts to give you easier access to these apps and things within the infinite office. So that's really the idea is how do we take the browser? How do we take the web? All of the awesome content and apps that it has that can make you productive, and build an experience around that that really adds value in 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 VR right, you know, over other devices. And yeah, I'm really excited about where we're going through that. If if you know your listeners are saying what is what is Infinite Office, I definitely go check out the video. You can find it at the Facebook Developer Channel or on YouTube. We'll put a link in the description, definitely. That would be awesome. Yeah, it's a it's a great video. I think it really spells out where you know where we're trying to go and how exciting you know being productive VR could be. Yeah. And
0: there's one thing the more attentive listener might have noticed that you also mentioned to us off recording is that everybody talks about the keyboard but nobody talks about the mouse. <laughs> and you said mouse and keyboard explicitly twice in this conversation already. So how does it work? How do, how do you use a mouse in VR?
2: Everything with the Infinite Office is like very early, and so as is usual with you know our experience and our applications and our platform, uh, we we experiment and we we do research and we you know iterate. Uh, so I, I don't I don't want to nail down specifics here, but I think that having having a mouse with a keyboard is a really powerful input tool, especially when you're working with two D applications. You know, a mouse cursor gives you really fine precision. You know, a mouse wheel allows you to scroll easily. And of course the keyboard is is essential for typing. And you'll see in that video that the the keyboard she's using has a trackpad. And there's a bunch of interesting technical and also experiential problems to solve there. Uh, you know, a mouse was really meant to operate on a 2D surface and VR is this infinite 3D space. How does that work? And we probably don't have the time to get into all the variations that we've, you know, we're exploring, but, I think suffice it to say, like the goal here is how do we make people productive and how, how important are, are these input devices to that experience? And, and, and we do believe that they are important.
1: Are you also considering allowing desktop applications to be connected to the Oculus Quest for now or is that not being worked on?
2: So I, you know, I work in the browser, I, and I don't want to speak to the roadmap for for other features like this, as I, it's not really my area. But you know, you say the word desktop, and something comes up to me that I sort of glossed over in terms of you know, saying the the vision for the infinite infinite office kind of started earlier this year. One of the other things besides the multitasking experience is our shift to being a desktop browser. You know, when we think mm-hmm. about being more productive, we we want you to run the best and most you know powerful versions of web apps that are out there. And uh, when you think about our experience, we offer a multi you know a, a, what is essentially a larger screen panel that is more similar to a laptop or a desktop screen in form factor than it is a phone. Mm-hmm. And so we made this switch uh, earlier this year to running desktop sites by default. And, and that means you get more productive websites. You get more productive apps. It also means you get you know, more performance-intensive experiences. Mm-hmm. And so we've had to do a bunch of work there to ensure that you know, we can really run those with you know, speed. So that's, that's kind of what resonates to me around like, desktop-level productivity is, is the work that we're doing in the browser to, to run the experiences you expect from sort of desktop uh, computers.
0: Cool. So with all those features, with like the desktop pages by default, the multitasking and all that sorts of stuff, that's like browser specific features, but there's also features that concern the spec directly. So they need to be standardized to make sure that all browsers support them equally. And you're also doing a lot of work in that direction with the W3C, with like trying to get like hand tracking or joint tracking support in, you've released that behind a flag, for example. Can you go into like the direction of what you are looking at in future terms of what the specs should be extended to support?
2: The web... Especially as a platform for developers, it, one of its biggest superpowers is the ability to run cross-platform, right? To be able to write code that you can use across a variety of different devices and a variety of different browsers. And to do that, it's critical that the APIs and, and, and the, the core platform here are, are standardized and not just standardized but interoperable right like the implementation of the standards is is faithful and 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 compatible across browsers and across devices so it's really just essential to the to the success of, of the web uh, and that there's no different in webxr either so we've been active members of, of uh, you know the web uh, webvr community group and then now the immersive web working group for a long time and after we implemented you know sort of the the first basic part of WebXR. We were looking at like where, where we wanted it to go next, what were features that were adding a lot of value on the native side that didn't exist on the web, what were some of the challenges developers were seeing you know, in developing WebXR applications where the platform could provide capabilities that would you know, step up the experience. And there were two things um, really rose to the top for us uh, that we've been working on a lot over the last year. Uh, the first was was this idea of layers or, or time warp layers. Mm-hmm. Layers really create the uh, an ability to do few things. One is uh, there's a developer ergonomic thing here of being able to create surfaces that use common projection formats, Equirex, Spherical, etc., and render content to them. And then the second is a performance thing. So knowledge of different layers in the scene allows us to use the hardware on Quest to accelerate the, the, the compositing of the scene. And so you normally your your flow is you get a you get a head pose from the device and you you render the scene update and and you post that out. By the time you do that, if you take too long to render your scene, it you know it may be out of date from the latest head pose. With layers, we can actually insert a step there at the end where the compositor is able to look at the latest head pose and adjust the positioning and the rendering accordingly so that it you know keeps up the latest head pose. Uh, and this ends up translating into a smoother experience, and it ends up meaning and a smoother experience here also can end up meaning better legibility for things like mm. text when put on a layer. And so it's a big win for performance. When you think about the first capability of of like projection modes, the other thing that naturally comes there is immersive media, and so that sort of leads us to like, where do layers go from here? We were looking at special types of layers, media layers, mm-hmm. that would make it really easy to render immersive video in WebXR with high performance and quality, mm-hmm. and and really like, you know, if if, if layers that they're basic form help you deal with the sort of projection formats and distortion, the next step of this is actually allowing that that the GPU to hardware accelerate video into that layer. And with Quest 2, we have more than twice the decoding bandwidth that Quest 1 had. And so the idea that we can create APIs in WebXR and work on standardizing them with all the other contributors in the group that are able to make video easier to implement but also higher quality. Is going to translate into WebXR experiences that are just fundamentally more immersive and and Mm -hmm. and and more present. And and I think like the goal here is how can we get to like making immersive video as easy as a single line of HTML five video is you know for two D video. And I think that's where we want to get. On the the other big investment we've done is hand tracking. Mm -hmm. You know last year a year ago uh, we showed off hand tracking sort of for the first time on quest and it was amazing that we were able to bring that to the system including in oculus browser in just a few months but developers on the web haven't had access to hands to integrate them into WebXR directly and so that was an obvious capability that we wanted to bring to WebXR and we've been working on how that's supposed to be exposed as well. it's experimental both of these features you can if you're a developer you can enable them in about colon flags. Of the browser, and even though it's experimental, it's just been amazing to see all the cool experiences and, and demos and experiments that have been happening by developers with both of those technologies. Uh, so we're really excited to kind of round those out, put the fin- finishing touches on them, get them shipped, you know, on by default. Hmm. Uh, I don't have a, an exact target date for that, but I'm I'm hoping it's pretty soon for those. Cool, amazing.
0: Performance has been a topic that has come up again and again, not only on this podcast but alone in this conversation. What are your like high level thoughts on other specs like WebAssembly or WebGPU that are either already shipped or like coming up soon?
2: Yeah, I, I think that access to you know I'll, there's a theme here, right? A lot of this um, has has to do with just giving the web. Better access to lower-level primitives and and hardware capabilities. WebAssembly offers this idea of being able to run highly performant code for specialized operations and things like this. Uh, portability of code uh, is also a really interesting scenario, and I think it's gonna be really impactful for being able to port you know uh, code to to the web for games and you know business logic in in uh, existing native applications, those types of things, and. Anything that we can do to make content run faster on the web is is a good thing. There is, you know, there is a trade off, you know, depending on on the type of application and the type of experience. There is this trade off for all these superpowers of the web and the dynamic code and dynamic scripting, et cetera. Like, and so these features are really, I think, about overcoming that and and letting the web be just as fast you know, as native applications. And I think an important part of that also is. All the work that has gone into the performance working group around measurement and giving, you know, developers the tools to understand and reason about their performance, both locally in their sort of debug (laughs) workflow and you know in production with users so they can fine-tune it and maximize the experience.
0: Talking about debugging, shout out to whoever in your team (laughs) implemented render doc debugging for Oculus browser, being able to go in and like exactly looking at the at the draw calls there was like huge for like debugging graphics code for wonderland engine so thanks to whoever that was staying a bit in the future where do you think is web vr or web WebXR immersive web heading like what do you think where is it going to be like 10 years from now
2: well you know five to ten years is a really <laughs> long time and in some ways like uh, my, my job is to facilitate this conversation and and I can you know kind of give you my take on where I think some interesting scenarios and things are going to go, but a lot of this is going to be informed by developers and the and the content they created. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when app stores and the like were created, I don't, I don't think it was easy to imagine at that point all the different types of applications and experiences that would our our world would revolve around. and so I don't want to be like, too prescriptive here. I I think part of this is being open to where the community and the ecosystem takes it. But it might me personally, I think that there's a really interesting space that is, we've really just scratched at that the web will play for applications in VR that actually aren't Aren't games? I think the WebXR is a great platform for for you know for creating games. The toolchain there is is quite different than you know say if you're building native apps and, mm-hmm. and the like. So I actually look at like, hey, are we leveraging yet in WebXR some of the things that made the web great in 2D? And that that is this you know ability to have responsive layouts and and, and interactive UI. You know if you try to build a uh, an interface or a rich application <laughs> in a game engine, uh, it's really hard, right? Like, and it's why you see fairly primitive, uh, you know, relative to, to what we we might expect on, on native apps or, or web apps actually. Uh, and so I don't think we've actually untapped that in WebXR fully, right? Like I think that there's this space of immersive applications that have rich UI and interactivity and unlock a new type of, of immersive use case that isn't 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 games. It could be commerce and shopping, it could be travel, like it could be a bunch of different things, right? Like this goes back to the idea of building a new type of, of immersive computer. One of the things that I think is missing from the platform to make that, that vision true is the ability to bring HTML into an immersive WebXR application, right? Mm-hmm. Right now, we have these two ends of the spectrum. You have two modes, effectively, of the browser. Mm-hmm. You've got basic 2D web browser, which, and I say basic, but actually, it's you know quite deep, right? It's a you know decades in the making platform, and then you've got immersive WebXR mode where. We basically the current state of the world is like we say, here's the <laughs> GPU and here's the input and and and, and have fun. Good yes. luck. And I think there's a there's a gap there. And and being able to bring in you know HTML rendering, like I, I imagine like if you think about the concept of a layer, mm-hmm. like what if that was actually you know 2D web content and you could build an interactive UI on a layer inside of WebXR and you could all of a sudden have access as a developer to you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of dozens isn't even right the ma- right magnitude of order. UI frameworks and components and libraries and and all this stuff. Like, if you unlocked that, I think you uh, just unlock a massive ecosystem of new experiences in in WebXR. And so that uh, like is something we're actively thinking about. Like, we're we're thinking. You know, I talked about media layers as sort of a specialized layer type, but like. Being able to render HTML, you know, you know, DOM nodes in an immersive scene is something we think will be really powerful in the long run.
1: I completely agree on that point. I think also having the ability to specify how the contents interacted with in virtual reality could be a incredibly valuable point because it's not just going to be virtual reality; it's going to be XR in general that is going to be using frameworks that use this kind of spatial display of information, right?
2: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I want to like balance my excitement and, and, <laughs> and vision for this with like, Hey, this is a really hard problem. You know, I like, of course we know how to render, you know, HTML or a browser, you know, but like, there's a bunch of unique considerations when doing this in WebXR, you know, the ability to read back from the GPU opens up really interesting privacy conversations. Mm-hmm. What is the sort of Origin policy of the immersive space, right? If if I you know host a different domain inside of a layer, like what access do I have to that, et cetera? Uh, so there's just a ton of problems to to solve here to really make this a reality. But I I believe in this capability being important, and so that's those are the problems we're working through is is to figure out how that might work.
1: But I think also having the web as a base for developing this next level of features and experiences is going to be really beneficial especially having all these expertise this expertise behind us and seeing how people already solved so many issues like there's already solutions for speech recognition there's already solutions for storing stuff on the browser there's still solutions for i don't know for time zones for god's sake like the uh, these generalized problems have already been solved so i am really glad to be working in this space for that and what you guys are doing there also helps a lot.
0: Talking about you guys, you have like a a team obviously behind you, and I follow John Carmack on Twitter, and I think I saw one or two tweets of him like actually being pretty fond of the Oculus browser team and complimenting it in very nice ways. So, what what about the team? What what drives them to virtual reality?
2: Well, first of all, like. I think that there's this theme here that we've you know sort of poked at, especially in exploring things like Infinite Office and like what is different about the Oculus Browser from you know Chromium, et cetera. Is like the underlying theme here is the Oculus Browser is much bigger than just the team, mm-hmm. right? You think about the work that goes into bringing something like multitasking. That's actually the evolution of the system experience. It's not just the browser. So I want to like be you know, broad in the answer to this question, because you're really not asking just, you know, about the browser team. You're, you're asking about the, the, the team at Oculus all, all up. And, and it's a really high performing, high functioning team. And I, I'm, I'm excited to work with them. And I think and I told my story of what got me into VR and why I'm excited about the potential of this platform. And I think everybody here has their version of that story. It's certainly a product that is easy to get up in the morning and be excited about what you're going to do <laughs> totally at work. Uh, I, 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 you know, I can only tell this really through my own, you know, personal lens. I'm sure everybody has their own version of this, but like we solve problems every day, even even minute, simple things. But like they're they're ones that haven't been solved before. There is no gold standard here, you know, or at least it's not like a, you know. It, we are not at billion person scale yet. I think that's obvious, right? And that's where we wanna get. And so like the landscape, the sort of frontier of being able to experiment, being able to listen to users and 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 hear you know the feedback they're getting, developers like giving us cool ideas on like where they wanna take their businesses. It's just every morning you get up and you have a really interesting problem to solve. And I think that fundamentally is the fire that like lights us to, you know, push on innovation. Very cool.
0: As like a final question, I suppose the Oculus browser team is probably very different from other teams at uh, Oculus. What might like differentiate them from a team building Horizon for example or a team building the gallery?
2: Well, I you know I don't know how different we are from these other teams, you know, in fact like again, it sort of takes a village to to build the browser experience anyway. So, (laughs) you know, like any team at any company and and you, you, you do hire domain experts and things, right? Like, I don't think it's a, coincidence that like I'm 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 working as the product manager for the team and and having a background in the web and the space I think really helps me have you know a good intuition around where to take things and whatnot. And similarly, like this is a bit of a plug, but like we are hiring. Uh, I like, I just I just tweeted the other day like I, I, all this energy around, like, we're serious about the web as an app, as a platform, we're looking for someone who is, has a bunch of experience in in creating and maintaining web frameworks, because we think that's an an important part of the end to end story for developers. So sure, we we do hire, you know, folks that have, you know, certain expertise for the jobs and the problems that we think we have. But fundamentally, I don't think that there's something like, Massively different about our team from other teams. I think they do the same in terms of, of of making sure they have the best people for the the vision and the problems that they have in the in the particular area. But they're so interconnected. Like these aren't really isolated products. Like we think about this, the the end to end story. That again, I I really don't think of my team I work with as being defined to just the folks that are checking in code to the browser. It, it really is much bigger than that.
0: Cool. Would you have any closing words, something you would want to get out
2: to the audience? Sure. Uh, you know, I I always want to emphasize, and then, you know, I came up so much in this conversation today, like how much of... Our roadmap is informed by listening to both users and developers. I, I really encourage th- folks to you know provide us feedback, whether that's you know ideas on user voice, you know reaching out to to myself on on Twitter, you know contributing uh, to the Immersive Web Working Group. That is a community that and all are welcome there. And you know the ideas shouldn't be limited to just a few folks that are close to it. So if you're you know working in this space, I, I encourage you to get involved, share feedback. And this is a platform we're gonna really build together. Amazing, thank you so much for that. Where do people find you on the internet? On Twitter? Yeah, I'm Jacob Rossi on, on Twitter and GitHub and LinkedIn. Awesome. We'll put
0: links to all that down into the description. Jacob, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's, it was amazing to be able to speak to someone at Oculus Browser, which is like such a huge part of the WebXR industry market. So
2: thank you so, so much. And it was a pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. And thanks for giving this community a voice and a, and a way to tune in and, and really be informed on, on what's happening. To all you listeners, thanks for listening and
0: see you next time. Bye-bye.
2: Bye-bye.